This is Matt. I'm the pastor of worship and arts here at All Souls, and today is Ash Wednesday. We've held three services throughout the day here at Four Market Square. It's been great to be with so many of you and to mark this day and the beginning of Lent together. But we know not everyone is able to make it to these services, and so we wanted to post Doug's teaching from today just as a way for more of us to share in Ash Wednesday and as a way to keep us in step as a family as we enter into Lent together. There's a brief piece of today's service, and peace be with you. And remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Good morning, my little flock. Welcome. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You respond the word of the Lord. (laughs) I forgot the word of the Lord part, sorry. I heard uh, a fascinating story about a person's kind of health adventure recently, and she gave me permission to share it. I'll call her Sue. She lived overseas as a missionary and um, came back quite ill with severe intestinal problems, and she tried everything for about three years to to find healing, and nothing worked. The next few years became very dark, and everything that she wanted to do, she was unable to do. She couldn't take walks. She couldn't uh, enjoy things with her husband or have people over. It was very discouraging. And through a remarkable series of events, she decided to try a very rigorous seven-day cleanse, and she had some some doctors and some uh, prayer people, and she decided, I think I need to take these things out of my diet that I haven't taken out before. And uh, to her surprise, the cleanse revealed that she had uh, picked up parasites in the other country that all the other uh, tests had missed. And uh, the parasites were flushed out, and uh, her gut began to heal uh, instantly. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that, that is a picture in many ways of what spiritual healing can be like, that... When we go through this world, we can pick up spiritual parasites, uh, just as we walk through the swamps of of modern life. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
And the word opportunity just means place or uh, somewhere where something can dwell. And I don't know how all of that works. I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I think there is a spiritual principle here that as we go through this life, we can pick stuff up. We can, uh, we can pick up things that hurt us spiritually. So Lent is a 40-day cleanse, not counting Sundays, uh, designing, designed to heal us from the spiritual parasites that we've picked up over the year. And just as fasting was important for my friend, it can also be an important part of Lent. Um, traditionally, of course, we fast from food, and um, that's wonderful. That'll be part of my Lenten fast this year. But I, I, I do think just merely giving up chocolate or, or wine or something has very little spiritual value if it's not connected to some way in which God is cleansing you, creating space in you, doing something deep in you. So don't just fast from something because it's lint. Think and pray about something that actually would help you cleanse, help remove spiritual toxins from your life. This lint, I want to encourage you to consider a digital fast. Uh, I was introduced to this idea in an excellent sermon by a pastor named John Mark Comer. It's called The Case for Digital Asceticism. He's a pastor in Portland. You can find that online. But why, why talk about digital fasting, especially when you're recording this and putting it out on the Internet? Well, <laughs> one of the ways that we fast digitally or rather, one of the ways that spiritual parasites uh, enter us is through our minds, um, through what we think about and watch and, and take in. And Scripture tells us to be very careful about how we think and what we think about. We already read Philippians 4.8. Here's Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. Colossians 3.2 Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In 2 Corinthians 10.4 for the weapons of our warfare are not the, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we need to be very careful about how we think and what we think about. And I'm not at all saying that we should only read the Bible. I'm just saying that we need to be thoughtful and intentional about what we take in. We do live in a digital age, and there is much that is good about our new communication technologies. Uh, there are many valuable uses. We can find support and community online. We can grow and learn by accessing information we couldn't have found before. We can shop and pay bills efficiently. We can collaborate and work from home. We can find a restaurant in a new city. We can raise money, we can create awareness for social causes, we can share the gospel, we can read books, we can watch good TV shows. So many, many good things about uh, our new technology. 
but we have to be careful about it. And this is not going to be a TED talk on the evils of Instagram. Um, I've watched a few of those this week. Um, I do want to think with you for a moment about how digital technology can affect our souls. We make sense of our lives by the stories we choose to live with them. Uh, the philosopher Alistair McIntyre writes, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself apart? So Christians live within the biblical story. The opening act of scripture begins with the creation of the man and the woman in the image of God. The second act describes how we are cut off from God through sin. The third and longest act describes how God redeems, saves, and heals us, first through Israel and then through Christ. And then the fourth act ends in the restoration of all things in Christ. And we walk on stage somewhere in the middle or hopefully the end of the third act. Now, humans have been great storytellers from the first campfire. And today, I think one of the great things about the technology is the whole world has been kind of invited to the campfire. Uh, there's great stories being told on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and personal stories on Instagram and, and Facebook. And, and in a way, this is a beautiful thing, and Christians should be able to enjoy a good story. But we also don't want to be naive. Stories have profound power. Uh, when Sandy and I were in the Soviet Union, everywhere we looked, there was a bust of, of Lenin, or something about communism or Marx. And the amount of energy the Soviet Union put into telling the story of the communist revolution and making the people live within it told you about the story's power. And of course, uh, oppressive regimes tend to block all other stories because they know that a, another story can be subversive of, of their story. In April of 2017, Netflix aired uh, a teen drama about the suicide of a high school student and her impact on the death of her classmates. The story was called 13 Reasons Why, and uh, the high school student mailed a friend an audio diary in which she gave 13 reasons why she wanted to kill herself. A study by the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry found that teenage suicides increased 28% the month after the series aired. Stories have great power. They shape us sometimes in unconscious ways. And that's something we need to think about when we are online. Uh, there's a wonderful book about this by a Christian philosopher named James Smith. It's called You Are What You Love. And in one chapter, he talks about the stories of consumerism in our culture. Here's a quote. How do we learn to be consumerists? Well, I am covertly conscripted into a consumeristic way of life because I've been formed by cultural practices that are nothing less than secular liturgies. These tangible, visceral, repeated practices carry a story about human flourishing that we learn in unconscious ways. These stories aim toward a particular vision of the good life, a rival version of the kingdom, and by our immersion in them, we are, albeit unwittingly, being taught what and how to love. 
Sometimes digital technology actually tells us a story simply by the way that technology functions. Uh, Sean Parker, the founding president of Facebook, told an audience in 2017, the thought process that went into building these applications was all about, quote, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible, unquote. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. So we are being trained, uh, without even being aware of it, uh, to want more likes. And, and even to our, have our identity associated with how much affirmation we get through the social media network. And that's a very different story about where identity comes from than the identity that we find in Scripture. Well, what do we do? Well, thankfully, a, a lot of people are starting to, to, to think about how can we be more thoughtful about the way that we engage this, this uh, wonderful technology. And uh, one of them is a young writer named Justin Early, and he wrote a book called The Common Rule. And in one of the chapters, he has a great idea. He says, curate the stories we take in. And he writes, stories matter so much that we must handle them with utmost care. Resisting the constant stream of addictive media with an hour limit means we are forced to curate what we watch. Curating stories means that we seek stories that uphold beauty, that teach us to love justice, and that turn us to community. Now again, I'm not saying that Christians should get rid of Netflix and only watch the Disney Channel. Um, I am arguing for what a tech writer named Cal Newport calls digital minimalism. And uh, I, I read or looked at a wonderful book on that this week. Digital minimalism is, quote, a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. <laughs> so I think what he's saying is use the technology, don't let the technology use you. So one of the ways we can move towards a healthier relationship with digital technology is by, by fasting, or what some tech writers call a digital detox. Uh, addiction to the internet is, it hasn't made it into the DSM yet, but it's coming. Uh, it's something people are talking about because it's all related to the dopamine hits. And so now I, I read a book this week called uh, The Digital Diet that's about overcoming addiction to the internet. And the first thing he says is you can't just wean yourself off slowly. You're going to need to do a digital detox for 30 days. And Lent might be a good time to practice that. Uh, and by the way, the, here are the books that I looked at this week that were helpful. Uh, John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Jenny O'Dell, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. Daniel Seiberg, The Digital Diet. Andy Crouch, The TechWise tech Family. Wonderful statistics in there about how much families are struggling with, uh, with the technology and how to balance that. Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism, and Justin Early, The Common Rule. So again, I, I'm not suggesting that we be Luddites and some, shut our whole world down, 
But I am encouraging you this Lent to find some ways to limit uh, your use of internet and social media. Now, here are some of the suggestions that come up in these books, and you can probably come up with better ones, but um, don't text and drive. <laughs> that would be something to fast from. Put your phone to bed at 7.30. Don't turn on your phone until after you've spent time with God. Set a time limit for social media and how long you'll be on it. Reduce the number of apps on your devices. Turn off notifications. Once a day, replace texting with a phone call. Replace a phone call with a personal face-to-face -face conversation. Turn off your phone for one hour a day. Curate how many shows you'll watch this week. Don't use a phone while in the car with another person. Talk instead. Disable news apps. Share your passwords with your spouse. Have a no heads down rule. No one is allowed to look at a gadget while having a conversation. Limit the time you spend playing video games. Now, you probably could come up with a, with a list of your own, but those are some of the suggestions in the literature. And so one of the things that I think we'll find if we do this even modestly is you're going to have some space in your life, both emotionally, mentally. Uh, you, you'll, you'll wonder, well, what am I supposed to do now at the traffic light? Or well, I'm, I've, I've got this extra five minutes and I'm not checking ESPN and... It will create a disruption in, uh, in your life. And um, Jana sent me a very interesting essay this week from a Jesuit priest who uh, said, here's what you do for Lent. Uh, turn off social media and then do nothing. <laughs> and he, he based it on this, this book by Jenny O'Dell. And the idea is when you create space like that in your life, an adventure can happen. And you might be surprised at the bird that you see or the conversation that you have with the banker or, or the thing God shows you in the, in the silence. So I'm encouraging you to, to go on a digital fast, but then to kind of start an adventure with the Lord and just see what happens with the space that opens up and do the things that feed your soul. And also, pay attention to what's happening in you as you curate your stories. And over the 40 days, see if there's any difference towards the end when you've limited the amount of media content that's coming in. And of course, you know that the, 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 the statistics are absolutely phenomenal about the, uh, the amount of information that's being created and all of that, and you know, that. Twice, every two days more information is being created than was created up till 2004, you know, and, and all these statistics about uh, how much time we, we spend online, and I don't want to quote all that again, but the point is no human being has ever lived in a cultural context like this, and we don't yet know whether or not it's destroying us. So we should step back and, and be wise. And then at the end, after Easter, look at what you took off and see what you want to put back. 
and again, the digital minimalism, a philosophy of technology use in which you focus your online time on a small number of carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support things you value and then happily miss out on everything else. So maybe that's where you can be in Easter. You came from dust and dust would be Good.